Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Stan Bush. Hi, this is Stephanie Calvert. This is John Payne. This is Jack Hughes. Hey everyone, this is Britt Lightning from Vixen. Hey everybody, this is Prescott Niles. Hi, I'm Jerry Stevens. Hello, I'm Kofi Baker. This is not a test. This is Play That Rock and Roll. I'm your host, Joe Kay, and today our guest is Steve Rosen, author of the new book, Tone Chaser, Understanding Edward, which is a book that details his 26-year friendship with Eddie Van Halen. This book is already in its third edition, which is quite impressive. And that's at least in part because it is a great example of rock journalism. See, this book is largely based on a series of recorded interviews that Steve conducted with Eddie back in the 70s and 80s. In fact, Steve had a verbal agreement with Eddie at one point to write an authorized biography of Eddie. Unfortunately, they fell out of communication before that could happen, and since then, Eddie has, of course, sadly passed away. Since Eddie is no longer with us, this book is now meant as a celebration and tribute to Eddie's incredible life and career, and it's a must-read for any Van Halen fan, as the interviews here contain a great deal of Van Halen history. Since January 2024 marks the 40th anniversary of this incredible album, as well as what would have been Eddie's 69th birthday, I thought we would take some time on this channel to celebrate the legacy of Van Halen. Our next interview will continue our Van Halen coverage, so be sure to stay tuned for that as well. But in this interview, you will hear us talk about Steve's career as a music journalist, why he decided to write the book, how he put it together, what Eddie was like to him as a friend, and even what David Lee Roth was like out of the spotlight. You can learn more about this book at ToneChaserBook.com, and you can order it from Amazon. You can find Tone Chaser on Facebook, and you can find Steve on Instagram at steve.rosen.guitar.pics. 
as he has a side hustle selling classic rock guitar picks. So check out his links and the link to his eBay store in the description below. And with that, here's my conversation with the author of Tone Chaser, Understanding Edward, Steve Rosen. I saw on social media, you just announced that Tone Chaser is on its third edition already, right? And this is after it being out for what, a, a year only? You know, you bring up a good point, man. Um, I, I think the first one came out in, uh, yeah, March, March, April, May of uh, 2021. Yeah, so it's just been, yeah, a little, was that a year and a half or something? Um, uh, yeah, it, it blows my mind, honestly. I, I'm so overjoyed about that. You know, the, re the reaction has just been fantastic, you know. Um, you know, writing a book is a very unique experience, Joe. You know, you sit in your room and you think you're creating the next, uh, you know, East of Eden, you know, the greatest book ever written. And the reality is until it goes out into the world, you know, it, it it's all in your head, you know. I mean, I suppose some people create for themselves, you know, but I think most people who sit in there take the time to write a book or, or a piece of music or a record they want the world to hear it, you know. So until it goes out there, you really don't know how people are going to react. I think I'd written something interesting and something poignant and meaningful, but you never know. And, um, you know, those first books went out, I'm thinking, oh, please, please let them like this book, you know. And the initial um, responses came back, and, and I, I thought, yeah, you know, they, they get it. You know, Van Halen fans get what I was going for. So, yeah, man, I'm, I'm really overjoyed. And, and as you said, Literally today, I kind of put finishing touches on the on the cover, changed the back cover a little bit, got a, got another blur from somebody, and okay. I'm not going to tell you who, so you can be surprised, but somebody <laughs> really cool, you know, man. And um, yeah, literally today, uh, the all the files um, uh, were being sent to the the printer. The reaction, the positive reaction, because I, I see on social media how many people are posting pictures with the books and, and it seems to be getting great reviews. I see you doing a lot of different podcasts and I, and I think it must be, you know, sort of twofold, you know, uh, one is the subject matter is Eddie Van Halen, undeniable. People want to hear about him. I remember the day he died, I recorded something for this channel and I said, I showed the Van Halen books that I have already. And, you know, there a lot of them are drama and, you know, whatever, but like, I, I bought those books, not really for the Sammy versus Dave stuff. I bought it because I wanted to learn about Eddie, you know, and that's the same way, you know, the reason why I, I can't get a, you know, can't wait to get a copy of this uh, book of yours is because I want to learn about Eddie. And I think the, the, the second reason why, you know, you're having such a, a positive response is credibility is I think people, uh, you know, know that, you know, or are finding out that, you know, you have a past in rock journalism and you were really close with Eddie. So you actually have some insight that's not just Googling, you know, what Eddie was up to these last couple of years. And, you know, that's the stuff that I look forward to hearing. So I want to ask you questions about the book, but I, I also wanted, was hoping that we could talk a little bit about your career before the book. As a rock journalist, I recently had another guy on named Xavier Russell, who worked for Kerrang! in the 80s, 
I talked to a guy named Joe Matera a few years ago who did rock journalism. I like to highlight rock journalism on this channel because that is, I have so much respect for it because it, it it's the access point for fans like me to the mm -hmm. artists that we love. So I, I know you were, wrote for Guitar Player and Guitar World. You know, take me back to those early days. How did you get yourself uh, into that uh, rock journalist um, industry? I always loved music. Uh, I was a guitar player, started playing guitar when I was very young. Um, uh, I was an avid reader. I love to read, uh, not just magazines, but books I was always reading. Um, uh, you know, great writers, I was just always moved by that, you know. Um, uh, in high school, um, uh, I took a, a journalism 101 class. Um, and I, I, I pitched to Mrs. Carpenter, the, the journalism teacher. Um, I don't want to write about scholastic activities. I don't want to write about the girls' volleyball team, you know. I want to write about music, you know. And she said, well, that's never been done. I go, well, you know, I want to go out there and, and review live shows and, and review records and things. She said, okay. I reached out to all these clubs and said, look, I'm the music editor for uh, my high school newspaper, the Culver City Centurion. And, um, you know, there's 1,700 students there, and all of them are potential, you know, people who would come into your club. You know, I, I'd love to review the shows. And all these clubs were so responsive, man. They said, sure, you know, just let us know when you want to come down and, and, and give us a shout. So I started going to the, you know, uh, the Whiskey. Um, this is 71, um, the year I graduated. You know, so I was going to the Whiskey uh, and the Troubadour. Um, uh, called the Golden Bear, which is down south of where I lived in, in, in L.A., uh, down in Huntington Beach. Uh, there was a club called um, uh, the Ice House out in Pasadena, which was probably not far from where Edward uh, would ultimately be living, um, you know. And I was just going to these clubs, just seeing these amazing shows and, and reviewing them, you know. And the next day after a review would come out, you know, people come up and go, oh, I, I bet you review, man. Oh, that's so cool, you know. And that was it for me. Yeah, I mean, you know, girls who had never talked to me before go, oh, you write for the newspaper. I go, all right, there's something cool here, you know. Um, I mean, certainly that was part of it. I mean, I, I really did love seeing sort of like the stories in print. Fast forward, I started, you know, sending out reviews and things to uh, uh, local papers, um, the L.A. Free Press, um, and um, uh, finally got – like a live review printed in the in the LA Free Press, which is a really hip underground newspaper at the time. And then you, you kind of use that as a springboard. I went to Europe with a buddy uh, uh, after high school and did like the Jack Kerouac on the road thing. You know, we hitchhiked around, you know. And I had gotten names of, of um, publicists for bands and stuff. And um, the first interview I ever did, and this is late 72, was Joe Cocker. The first oh. interview I ever did, man. And I mean, I was terrified. I mean, I was a monster Cocker fan. And here I am, there's nobody, and I'm walking in, and there's Joe Cocker. And what the hell do I ask Joe Cocker? I mean, I, I wasn't prepared for anything like that, you know. Um, um, and it grew from there. And I came back and um, uh, was introduced to the editor of Guitar Player, Jim Crockett, um, by this very sweet woman, um, Lydia Woltag who worked at a uh, publicity company called Gibson and Stromberg. They were like the first rock and roll publicity company. You know, there weren't like, you know, tons of 
of, of publicists doing publicity for bands. It, it just it just wasn't an industry yet. So they sort of took me into their wing, Gibson Stromberg, and um, made accessible all their artists. I mean, they handled actually the Stones, um, uh, Black Kangaroo, uh, Steely Dan, Dr. Hook, all these bands, uh, uh, and also Jeff Beck. So I'm in their office one day, and she says, do you want to interview Jeff Beck? And I, th I, th I think, oh, my God, you know, Jeff Beck was and is my favorite guitar player of all time. And the idea of talking to Jeff Beck, it's like, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll walk into a room and talk to Jeff Beck. Why not, you know? <laughs> and so she, she calls Jim Crock, and I'm there on the on, in her office. Go, Hi, Jim, this is Lydia, you know? Got this new writer here, and he's going to be interviewing Jeff Beck. And could you use a story? You know, and I'm listening to this, and it, it's a surreal moment, you know what I mean? Um, um, and uh, she says to her, yeah. Have him do the interview. If we like it, we'll use it. Well, I did the interview, and they loved the interview and put it on their cover. December 73, my first story for a guitar player magazine is also a cover. Wow. You know, I mean, I, I, I would go on to, to write for them for about five years. In five years, out of a total of, of 72 issues, uh, sorry, six years, 12 issues a year, six years, 72 issues, I had 16 cover stories. So it's like one every four covers was mine. And I only say that by way of saying that it, it was a charmed life, man. I mean, um, uh, you know, they, they, they were dependent on, on, on freelancers. And, you know, it was at a time in the 70s where a lot of these artists, they, they needed the publicity, you know? I mean, um, um, John McLaughlin, yes, she was John McLaughlin, but it's like he had to do press, you know, and Joe Walsh had to do press and Richie Blackmore had to do press. So I was there, thank goodness. And, um, you know, it, it, it grew from there. Um, uh, I wrote some books. I wrote a book on Jeff Beck in 78 that came out in Japan only called The Beck Book. I uh, wrote a book uh, subsequently on um, uh, Ozzy and Black Sabbath, a book on Free and Bad Company. Um, a book on Prince, book on Springsteen, um, 1977, um, I'm at the Whiskey, and um, I'm introduced to this guy, Eddie Van Halen, by Michelle Meyer. Michelle booked the club, and I knew Michelle, and uh, we have this conversation, and it's just an unbelievable conversation about Clapton and Blackmore and Jeff Beck, you know, and there's this connection made, I feel, and uh, for the next 26 years, I, I, I have the supreme honor, good luck, call it, call it what you will, of, of hanging out and, and becoming Eddie Van Halen's friend. Um, that relationship ends in 2003, and I don't want to give the book away about what happens, but it, it, was, it was kind of a bitter thing. Um, fast forward 17 years. I'm sitting on all these interviews that I've, I've never used. I've never printed a word. And guys are saying, man, you should write a book. You should write a book. I go, man, I I can't write a book on this guy. I haven't, you know, we haven't talked for 17 years. And, you know, I I honestly didn't know if I was up for the challenge. You know, honestly, it was kind of a chicken shit way out, to be honest with you. Yeah. It's like, man, it, it's too much responsibility. And. You know, this is Edward Van Halen, and yes, I knew him, and we were good friends, but, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'm up for that. I don't know if I could do it, you know, creatively as a journalist. I finally thought, you know what? 
let me sit down and, and see what happens. So I remember sitting down, uh, August 24th, 2020, my birthday, and I just start writing, you know, and I sort of come out with like the first few lines of, of what would be the introduction, you know, and I'm looking at it, I'm going, you know what? That, that's pretty cool. It's different, you know, and I think I, it, I could take that somewhere or it will take me somewhere. And yeah, 14 months later, um, uh, you know, I walk away and Tone Chaser's done. And now I go through the, the process of, of, you know, looking for a publisher. No publisher wanted it. Oh, it's too long. No one's ever going to print that, you know. And that was, wow. That was disheartening. Yeah, I, I, I could not believe that. Yeah. Um, well, and, I'm sure uh, they're looking at this third edition deal and maybe regretting it. Well, I fucking hope so. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and so, okay, I'll put the book out myself and I, I get it printed, you know, and. Um, as we touched on earlier, you know, man, you, you know, you do the um, social media thing. And I reached out to, you know, guys I had interviewed and, hey, guys, you know, here's a book, you know, I've written and, and I think you dig it, you know, would you help support the book with, you know, a post on your social media, maybe a photo of you in the book, you know, and it's been amazing, you know, um, I think people look at that and they go, yeah, Joe Satriani digs a book and Gary Holt digs a book and, you know, Doug Aldrich did the book, you know, and this Rosen, yeah, we know he, he was friends with Edward and he wrote all these stories for Guitar World as you touched on earlier, Joe, Joseph, um, you know, and so there was some credibility there, uh, you know, um, um, and yeah, I was hoping that would be there, uh, you know, because I'd written literally for 50 years, I'd been a, I'd been a journalist and, and hopefully that meant something to people and, um, and it did, you know, so, uh, yeah, long story to a to a short question about how I got started and where 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 it went to. Yeah, man, that's that's the story. Well, it, it's a good story. Uh, Thanks, well, I I know you. So you mentioned that you've published books in the past before Tone Chaser. When was the last time you published a book? So so you bring up an interesting point. All of those books uh, were um, uh, put out through publishers. Right. Yeah, right. So this is the first one I ever self-published. Uh, first but, one I ever did myself. But it's been a while, right? When? when oh yeah, it? yeah. The last one was um, um, it was actually a book on Randy Rhodes, um, oh. that I did. Um, I sort of co-wrote with this guy Andrew Klein. Andrew was good friends with uh, Randy. Had taken lessons from Randy, um, and he sort of approached me. Um, Andrew sort of had put together like a like a blueprint, you know, he kind of had it there and he wanted me to kind of, you know, finish it for him. And I did, uh, I, I never interviewed Randy. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I, I completed the book uh, and it was an amazing book. Uh, really. It was a beautiful book. Um, Andrew did this. It was this huge oversized um, coffee table book with a ton of uh, photos, you know, um, and it, uh, it was really great. The Rhodes family, had a big problem with it, even though Andrew had approached them. They basically cut the legs off the thing, um, mm. you know, to a point where it, it couldn't even be put out there. Oh, and, I got um, But yeah, but that was like, God, man, I'm so bad with dates. I want to say at least 10 years. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's been many, many years. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. 
Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. So writing a book, that's different than writing an article for a, a, a journalism piece. Did it take you a while to kind of get those engines going again as far as writing for a, in a book format? Or was that a welcome challenge? How did you feel about the writing of the book? I dreaded it. <laughs> you know, man, I mentioned before, seriously, sitting down and I'm thinking, oh, my God, 26 years, I've, I've got to somehow cover here. Um, but, in, but in sort of answer to the first part of your your question. Um, I really haven't been writing at all. I kind of, you know, I kind of slowly retired from any magazine stuff. It's probably been about four or five years. So yeah, man, those muscles go weak. And, um, uh, you, you know, the thing about an, an article is an article is 2000 words. Whereas, you know, you're looking at, I'm thinking it's 125,000 words. That That's the length typically of those books. So it's an, immensely huge under undertaking and beyond that you know you got to be kind of like you have to be like a really good writer for 125,000 words you know right. 2,000 words yeah I can I can be good for 2,000 words but <laughs> words 3,000 or 4,000 who the hell knows let me backtrack real quickly in 1985 I was going to write Edwards authorized biography so we had been friends at that point um for about nine years ten years um i uh, sorry uh uh yeah nine years yeah. um and um i said ed edward look man writers are going to come after you they're going to want to write your life story i want to be the person to do that he goes yeah of course it would be you who else could do that you know and to have him say that was like oh my god you know he, he trusted me that much to do that so i started interviewing um you know, musicians he had played with. This is pre the Van Halen lineup we know, you know. Um, uh, guys who were promoting shows with the band back in Pasadena. Oh, Fred, okay. Yeah. You know, uh, Tex, um, everybody. And, and, you know, because I was, you know, I wanted to put all that stuff together. Well, that book obviously never happened. Right. So I had all these interviews. So now it was, it was just kind of like, 
yeah, going through everything, and I had all the interviews I'd done with Edward. So it was kind of chronicling them, um, uh, putting them in the proper order, because a lot of those cassettes would say Edward Van Halen, but there was no date on them. Oh. You know, and I thought I thought I was so much better than I was at doing that stuff. I thought, dude, what was your problem? Yeah. How could you not put the date of an interview? <laughs> so I'd listen to, you know, we'd be talking, I'd be talking, and they'd go, yeah, man, and when we did the uh, Fair Warning Tour last year, I'm going, oh, Fair Warning Tour came out, you know, last year. I go, mm-hmm. there, you know, so I knew that that was, you know, whatever that year was, 83, 82. Sure. You know, so I had to, you know, put these pieces together. Um um, so, uh, yeah, you know, it, it was really kind of finding the bits and pieces, you know, and, and hopefully being led by them. And, and again, after I wrote that, that, that literally the first paragraph in the introduction where I referenced, that was my point, where I referenced this original book and I said something like, well, you're reading this book now because you're not reading the book that should have been back then. And I'm paraphrasing, but I thought it was kind of clever and kind of inside and a little bit different for an opening sentence, you know, which I wanted. I wanted the opening sentence to be cool and, and you know, yeah, you in. And I just kind of followed that, you know, and, you know, I, I found I found that voice. I found who I was supposed to be in writing this book, you know, that, that voice. And I could sort of now... I'm almost another character, even though I'm me writing it. I'm this character, Steve Rosen, writing this book. And I can kind of look at him and go, no, he wouldn't say that. No, he wouldn't say it that way. You know, come on, man. You can you can do a better job than that. This Rosen guy is a smart guy. You know what I mean. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I can kind of look at it from the outside a little bit. So, um, But it was hard. It was really hard. And six weeks after I began the book in uh, – October uh, 2021, Edward passes away, right? So now I'm thinking, oh, my God, what do I do now? You know, the last thing on this planet I wanted anybody to ever think was, oh, well, yeah, he's writing the book because Edward passed away and, you know, he's going to cast him. And even the term makes me sick to my stomach, right? you know, um, um, and, and I which is why I wanted to, I made, I tried to make a point early on in social media that I did begin the book before Edward's passing, but still he passed. And I'm thinking, my God, do I, do I stop now? And what do I do? You know? And by then I'd probably written, I don't know, man, three or four chapters. And, and, and I thought I had something really worthwhile, something really good. And I just kept going. I thought, you know what? If for nobody else than me, I, I, I have to see the end of the book and at the end of the book, you know, if my feelings are such that, you know, I can't put the book out there because I, I, I couldn't take people coming back on me or maybe it didn't come out as, as good as I thought it was. And, okay, I can say that I wrote the book. You know what I mean? Um, but at the end of the day, I'm really happy that I, I, I did keep going and I did put the book out. I, I think it still been a lot of those spots of Edward as a person that, that people didn't know about, you know? I mean, I barely, I wouldn't know, have known if I hadn't spent so much time with him, you know, and that he had, you know, he had insecurities. The greatest right. guitar player on the planet in the biggest band in the world with more talent than any hundred guitar players and money and looks and 
a beautiful wife and car. He was insecure, man. He he got sad on some days, you know. And by me talking about those and writing about those moments, I think they say so much about the guy, you know, more than if I was asking him, asking him for the hundredth time, well, what was that yellow and black guitar you used, Ed? And why did you, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. which is intriguing. And yes, it's amazing as part of the lore of Edward Van Halen, but doesn't t really tell us much about the human being, you know. Had I not brought all of those pieces forward, I, I really believed I would have been lying, not only to myself, but to those people who were maybe expecting a certain kind of book with me, maybe people who knew me from the guitar world stories and that I was friends with Edward. Um, and I would have been lying to, you know, without getting too, you know, heavy about it. I would have been lying to, you know, the spirit of Edward as well. Yeah. So. I would hate to hear someone accuse you of, of cashing in or whatever either, because I see it as a celebration, you know, of someone who isn't with us anymore. And that helps keep his music and legacy alive. It helps give fans insight into, you know, the artists that they that they love and want to learn about. You knew Eddie on an individual basis. And like you said, you know, you know, your friendship with him, you know, ended in a way that I'm sure you you know, wished went differently. But in the in the early years, when things were going well, when you were having a good time with them on a one on one basis, how would you describe him as a friend? What was he like to you as a friend? He was a teacher. He was a psychologist. He was a support system for me. Um, I am riddled with insecurities and, oh, my God, are they going to like my book? And what are they going to think? And, oh, my God, that paragraph's the worst thing I've ever read. I've got to rewrite that. Even. And, you know, I, I, I tried not to bring that out when I was hanging out with him. But, you know, you feel comfortable around somebody. It, it's just the way it happens. You know somebody. Right. All of those parts, you know, are, are revealed, you know. And, um you know, that would come out once in a while. And and every single time, I mean, he would just be so uh, instant, you know. We talked once, and, and he asked me how old I was. And I think I was, I don't know, 32 or 34 at the time. And I said, oh, man, I'm, you know, older than, you know, the earth, you know, which, which I felt at the time. <laughs> and he goes, no, how old are you? I go, dude, I am so old. He goes, how old are you? I go, I'm 34. Oh, I'm 32. And I say, yeah, but look what you've done in your lifetime, you know? And not that I was trying to compare myself to him, but, you know, you're around somebody like that who's so extraordinarily gifted and, 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 and successful, you know, it, it just came out of jealousy. And not yeah. that I even had the right to be jealous of him because he was such an amazing guy. But, you know, it, it came out. You know, yeah. it's like I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be John Steinbeck. Yeah. You know? And so that's kind of what came out, you know. Actually, when I was 34, I was actually, you know, I, I was doing pretty, I was doing really well. I was writing yeah. for a lot of magazines. But, you know, I compare him to Ed and what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a guitar player in a rock and roll band. Right. That was my first love. I wanted to be a songwriter and I wanted to play guitar. And, you know, here I am every day and I look at him and I think, oh, my God. You know, so, so. I, you know, those feelings will come out and they go, but dude, look, look, look what you've done and, and don't think like that. And 
just said, you know, you're a fucking idiot. You know, don't, don't, I, I, I've got more things on my mind. He could have said something like that. And one, it would have crushed me. But two, he, he just never even got close to saying those things, you know. Um, so in answer to your question, man, he was, I think what it comes down to is respect and trust. Yeah. Obviously, I had extraordinary respect for him, and I trusted him. And I think he trusted me not to write about things he didn't want me to write about or he could tell me things. And and she respected me. And to Ed, Edward Man, respect was huge. You could say I could say to Ed, I could say to him, Ed, that, that solo on on you know Women's Shoulder First, it wasn't very good. And he might have gotten mad about it, but it, it, it wouldn't have meant anything. But if I somehow disrespected him or or demeaned the art, that's something else. Or if I you know. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, belittled him in some way, um, um, and and just a little insight here. That's why he got so angry with Dave and Mike. It wasn't what they did physically, or as bass players, or singers, or lyricists. You know, Dave would go off on vacation for two weeks when he was supposed to be back in the studio work with it. To Ed, that's absolute disrespect for the art. You know, and 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 for Ed, it was almost an unforgivable sin. Um, you know, and and he wanted Mike to to maybe practice a little more and work a little harder, you know. And when Mike didn't do that, it was disrespect. It had nothing to do with Mike as a bass player or what he was playing or Dave as a singer. That was never part of it, you know. Um, and once you disrespected it, man, it was really hard to kind of yeah. uh, brace that black mark, you know. So. You know, a long answer again, man. Um, he, he was just a, he was somebody I could go to with my problems. He was, he was fun. He was, he was invariably upbeat. Um, um, he, he was an amazing friend, man. He, the guy, the guy was, you know, I, I, I trusted him. So. Well, that's that's just so great to hear. I mean, I think that's the kind of stuff that that fans want to hear about. You know, their 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 heroes, but. Uh, you know, it's interesting you say the thing about the disrespect for the art because it just reminds me of, a, you know, one of the, you know, hundred Van Halen documentaries that VH1 aired, you know, back in the, you know, in the 2000s where where they were talking about why Sammy left the band too. And it, it came down to some, Sammy didn't want to record when Eddie wanted to record. And I remember an interview where he said, hey, it is about the music. This is my life. You know, this is all I care about. And it just sort of echoes what you're telling me here. So I I, I find that fascinating. But since you brought up Dave, I, I just got to ask, because I know you you were around him, you know, a little bit too. And Diamond Dave is one of the one of the few guys that never has, maybe you saw this side of him. He always seems to be in character. He seems to live the gimmick. I don't think I've ever seen an interview where he's not in showbiz Diamond Dave uh, mode. Did you ever see him when that side was, you know, tuned down or was he just always on? So I knew Dave, you know, very peripherally. I mean, I, you know, I would run into Dave once in a while. Um, ben Halen would, would have these huge pre-production rehearsals, you know, they rent out one of the huge, I mean, 
huge sound stages at you know Paramount Pictures out here or SIR, um, and it'd be a big sort of a, a, a an open rehearsal for Friends and stuff um, uh, prior to a tour. Um, and I remember running into Dave a couple times during um, those uh, pre-production rehearsals, and he was a little toned down, but he was still he was still Diamond Dave. The only time I, I suppose I could ever see Dave when he was a little more this being David Lee Roth. Um, um, I ran into Dave at the Country Club, which is a club out here. Uh, it's a rock and roll club, you know, bands played. And Billy Sheehan's band was playing. And Dave was there checking out Billy Sheehan. So it was right around that era. Oh, um, okay. Right. So I think Dave had already left the band. Um, and I ran into Dave and we started talking and oh, how I wish I had had a cassette player because I knew, I knew that when I told Edward that I ran into Dave, that, that Edward was going to say, what do you say? You know what, you know, because again, what goes that thing about Edward, you know, I mean, he wanted to know about what Dave was doing and, and he wanted to know about the band that, 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 that Dave was putting together and he knew Billy Sheehan. Oh. I was playing in the band. He was a big fan of Billy's, and and he knew how good Billy was, um, you know. Um, and Dave is not a stupid guy by any stretch of imagination. Mm -hmm. You know, Dave putting that band together with Billy and, uh, you know, Steve Vai. I mean, oh, a genius. Yeah, right, exactly. So, but we were talking, you know, and um, he was saying some things, and uh, he goes, "Yeah, you know, I I really respect Edward." And I go, well, you really don't show it, Dave. And I, I was being like, you know, almost confrontational. I'm not really trying to be, but yeah. it's the truth, you know. And I go, well, yeah, I, I, I do, you know. And um, but, but that was one of the honestly, that was one of those moments where, where it was because I think Dave was maybe uh, look, I don't, I don't know, but, but the fact that I was maybe a little in his face because I can't imagine too many people got in Dave's face, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I thought maybe. He, you know, for him, it was like, well, you know, I, I have to really sort of confront this guy and be honest and, you, you know, put the my honest face forward. Uh, but that was about the only time. Um, oh. and, and, I, and I think at a point in time, uh, look, that worked great for the band, obviously. Um, you know, some people call Dave the greatest front man of all time. You know, they were extraordinarily successful bands. So who am I to say otherwise? Yeah. Um, but I think at a point in time, Edward kind of, wanted to strip that facade away and just kind of get down to work. And I'm sure Dave was certainly much more normal Dave when he was working on the music. But again, Edward would come up with these riffs and, and, and present the music to Dave. I don't, I don't know. And I wish I had asked Edward more about this. I don't even know if Edward was even in the studio when Dave was cutting gold. Oh, interesting. Right. You know, yeah. cause that was all Ted Templeman, right? Ted was right. Dave's guy. Yeah. Ted always defaulted to Dave. Um, and so, you know, Ted was there, obviously. Um, uh, but I don't know if Ed ever was ever there. I mean, he told me famously once, and it's in the book, he, he doesn't have any clue what the lyrics were. He <laughs> never knew what Dave was writing about. You know, I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty unbelievable. Well, I know when Dave left the band, Eddie stepped up in more of a prominent role in the direction of the band. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... In the last, uh, you know, in the last 20 years, there have been a number of books that are Van Halen centric. And I'm, I'm sure you've, you, you know, a couple of 
you know, been in front of you over the years, but one that really stands out to me. And I wonder about your thoughts on this too, uh, because what we mentioned about how, you know, things with you and Eddie ended, um, Sammy's memoir from 2010 came out and it, it really painted Eddie in a, a bad light for a good chunk of that book. And it was, at least for me as a fan, a total shock. It seemed to come out of left field. I wasn't following the band very closely back then. And, you know, in the years since, Sammy said he regretted writing it like that, but he, you know, also didn't lie. I mean, these were his feelings at the time. When yeah. when those headlines hit in 2010, did that, how did you react to that? Did that bring back memories of how things ended with you and Ed? I mean, do you think something happened with him that where he changed? You know, how did, how did you respond to that? You know, I, I did read Sammy's book. Um, I don't think I read it. I'm trying to remember. I, I don't think I read it until later, uh, you know, after it initially came out. I must say that I, I, I do recognize some of those moments, those types of moments that Sammy was talking about. I, I, I recognize some of that, you know, and, and you, you touched on it earlier. I mean, I, it took me 580 pages to try to understand Edward and, and to understand how and why he changed. I mean, I recognized it, man, by the early 90s, I, I, I could tell that Edward was changing. And, I, you know, I, I, I could not, and I know, I think I still cannot pinpoint exactly what was happening, but I think it was a confluence of things um, that would ultimately kind of come together um, sort of at the end of our relationship, 2003. Um, you know, there was that period shortly after that when Edward was really bad and, you know, he had the samurai thing. Yep. And, oh, God, I, you know, I see those pictures. It's it's hard to look at. In those really things. hard to look at, you know. But, you know, in 2000, he was diagnosed. You know, he was very right. sick, right? And the marriage wasn't going well. And I don't know if the band still had the deal on Warners. They might have been off Warners by then. Mm. The band itself was in turmoil. Um so, you know, and the, the drug thing. So, I don't know, man. You know, all those things come come together. Um, some people said, well, man, the managers at the time didn't want Edward hanging out with you anymore. Mm. I, 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 I do not know. All I know is he did change. Um, and, um, yeah, he turned into a, a, a different person. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's unfortunate. I, I remember in, in more recent years, Sammy's, really put all the blame on on some manager that came in and he said broke up the band that kind of thing um i forget the guy's name but in any case eddie is of course no longer with us you know tragically but but his son wolfgang has sort of emerged as a, a player in the music industry and he's got two albums out he's touring and i also noticed very active on social media and seems to be paying attention to what's going on. And I wonder, did you, have you heard anything from, from Wolfie about the book? You know, is, is this a project that he was interested in at all, or is he a little more closed off about it? Um, I have never spoken to Wolf. Um, I have never heard from Wolf. Um, you know, in the book, uh, there's a chapter, which I, which I title, uh, Wolf at the door. Um, oh. <laughs> about, um, <clears throat> uh, Edward having Edward and Valerie having Wolf. Yeah. Um, 
and um, a conversation I had with Edward. And it's probably the very first time, well, almost positive that Edward ever had the conversation with a writer about his son. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, uh, so Wolf, I think, was nine or 11 at the time. And um, he's talking about teaching Wolf how to play drums in three minutes, which I totally believe. <laughs> yeah. And then he, he plays me this thing, you know, over the phone, and, and, it, and it sounds like John Bonham. I go, who's that? He goes, that's Wolf. That's my son. You know, I caught him, you know. And anyway, that story is a pretty amazing story. And I bring that up because part of me has wanted to reach out. I guess I'm just afraid or wary that somehow Wolf, you know, I, I think he's probably heard about the book, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm guessing he's probably seen it somewhere. I, mm -hmm. I don't, I doubt if he's ever read it. Mm -hmm. um, um, you know, there's some personal moments in there, not about him specifically, but about his dad. And I, I, you know, I would hope that he would understand why those bits are in there and why I wrote about them. And I tried to be as honest about myself as well, you know. Uh, but then there's part of me that thinks he, you know, he would somehow think I was taking advantage of the legacy of his dad and, you know, say some mean things about me or the book, you know, and honestly, I, I just couldn't deal with that. So yeah. I just, you know, you, you know, um, I wish it was different. Um, and I really do. I mean, I would, I would love to sit down and have a cup of coffee with the guy, with the guy. Look, if he, if he said, or if I could reach out and said, look, man, leave my book out of it. I met your dad in 1977, you know, obviously I knew your dad before you did, Wolf, and I knew him at a time when, when you didn't, and I, I could tell you some things about him. You know, I could tell you what the dad was like on that first tour, the second tour, and he was king of the world, you know, and, and he, he was just the most remarkable person um, who, who lived, you know. I would love to have that conversation with him, um, but, you know, maybe someday. Yeah. You know, so if you're listening, I love you and I love your dad and, you know, let's be friends. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I would hope for you that the, that you get a chance to do that, too, because, uh, like I said earlier, I think this project uh, comes from a, a very obvious place of love and affection. I think books like these are really important for music history um, because, you know, when it when, when an artist passes away, I my philosophy that it's up to fans and and people like yourself as a journalist who who keep who help keep legacy and music alive and yeah. uh I, you know just seeing the reaction of 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 readers on online has been so cool to see uh so i'm i'm happy for you i can't wait to read this book uh congrats on all the success man i i'm so happy to to see that for you thank you very much joseph that means a lot i really appreciate it okay well before we get out of here Let's talk about where uh, fans can find you online and uh, what you are up to beyond Tone Chaser. So um, uh, if, I think if you type in Tone Chaser on, on Facebook, you'll find my site. My Instagram uh, uh, name is um, at steve.rosen.guitar.pics. And along those lines, I also sell guitar picks, collectible guitar picks on eBay. If anybody's interested in picks from Edward or Metallica or ACDC, I got all those picks. And you, if you type in like Spirit Nation picks, 
on on uh, eBay. You can find me. Um, the book, um, um, as has been mentioned, uh, is in its third edition. That third edition is being printed as we speak. Fingers crossed. Uh, those books arrive middle of the of Q1 2024. So I'm hoping, you know, mid February, late February. Um, but it could be later. So if they don't show up until March or April, don't anybody scream <laughs> for those of you who have placed pre-orders. And the only place to pre the only place to place in a pre-order at this point is on my website, tonetaserbook.com. One word, tonetaserbook.com. And um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, in terms of pricing, I've, I've I've tried to keep the price the same as a second edition, uh, which I've done, and, and the shipping is the same. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, so go check out the site, and there's some fun, pretty cool pictures up there of me and some of these other rock and roll folks I've interviewed. And um, yeah, I I, I uh, the third edition is gonna be cool. New cover, new back cover, some very cool blurb. New blurbs, some more photos, um, rarely seen, and a couple of them, according to the photographers, have never been published, never circulated. So that's going to be cool. Um, some little graphic design color changes inside, which I think people would do. And uh, yeah, I worked work really hard on the graphics and everything and putting it together. And it's finally gone off to the printers and... Let's hope that uh, yeah they uh, they do their gig and uh, the books show up uh, on time. Right, that is so yeah. good to hear. I will post a link uh, to the pre-order uh, link uh, in the description below. I'll post a link to the uh, eBay store in the description below. Uh, Steve, this has been an absolute joy talking to you. Uh, I can't wait to read the book. Uh, I, I I love the subject matter. I, I love. You know, knowing your history as a journalist, I think this is all going to come together really well. And I guess to 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 play us on out of here, what what would you what would you say are it can be any number between one and five of of some of your absolute Van Halen songs? I tend to go someplace a lot of people don't go. Um, I love Jamie's crying. Um, it's it's one of the early tracks. There you go. You know where Ed actually plays a rhythm guitar part behind it. That whole first record, right, is him, them, is the trio playing live. So Ed's playing rhythm, and then he goes in that solo, and there's no rhythm rhythm there, which is cool. But Jamie's crying and kind of shows the early um, uh, indications of Edward as, a, as an orchestrator, you know, layering guitar parts. I, I, I love that. Um, um, uh, I'm the one, um, which, which guitar players will tell you is maybe the hardest song to talk from Edward and it's his feel because you know he he had that loping kind of uh, groove thing uh, that shuffle thing even when he was playing straight that is extraordinarily hard for most guitar players to do you know because they tend to play that thing up and down um, Mean Streets Push Comes to Shove those solos are fair warning um, uh, oh god um, I'll Wait I, I oh, thought that's yeah. amazing, man. The, the yeah. chorus, I think, is incredible. Um, yeah, yeah, so many. Um, Can't uh, go wrong with any of those. Those are all winners. Yeah, uh, so, good songs. Oh, all right. 
Well, Steve, thanks so much for your time, man. Uh, you know, best best wishes with freaking volume or the third edition. Thank you. And uh, you know, I'm I'm you know I'm gonna see if I can track down some of your your older books on eBay too. You know, I think that that stuff is fun, and uh, uh, it's been really fun talking to you, man. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Cool, man. Thank you so much for your interest and uh, your support, Joseph. I appreciate it, man. All right, thank you, Steve. Hey, guys. Uh, Hey, thanks for listening. You know, there's no shortage of great content out there, so you choosing to spend some time listening to this show means quite a lot. If you're so inclined, please give this podcast a five-star rating and a positive review wherever you get your podcasts. And share our links wherever you can. Or mention this show to anyone you know looking for a podcast recommendation. All of this helps us out a great deal, and I appreciate it. You can connect with us on social media, too. We are at Play That Podcast on Facebook, Threads, Blue Sky, and even TikTok. Or we are at Play That Rock and Roll on YouTube and Instagram. Please post a comment and say hello. Finally, Play That Rock and Roll is a proud member of the Pantheon podcast community. So if you're looking for more music podcasts beyond this one, trust me, start with Pantheon. You won't be disappointed. Otherwise, I appreciate any and all efforts you take to support us here at Play That Rock and Roll. Be sure to join us next time for more great music and stories from the world of classic rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.